Well, today I am super excited. Before we kick into uh, the message that I am just pumped about, uh, we wanted to honor some people. We believe that throughout Scripture you see this idea of honor. And this idea of honor being this thing that when people accomplish something, when we see something good in them, that we show honor, that we encourage them. And also, when people are going to eventually be heading out into a new, different season of life, we also believe in commissioning them, blessing them as they leave. So this morning, we wanted to honor uh, some of our graduating uh, seniors, both from uh, high school and college. And again, we've been trying to get the names. So if anyone got missed in all of this, we apologize. We've tried our best to do that. So uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite up Dan Marley, who's our student uh, uh, ministry director, and he's, he's going to pray a prayer blessing over them afterwards. But uh, I'm going to call up uh, the class of 2018, uh, and, and I'd love for them to come up. I know a couple of them couldn't be here this morning, but as I, as I call you up, would you come and would you just stand uh, up here? Because uh, again, we want to show you honor. Uh, Ellie Sims. Ellie is graduating from Northwestern High School uh, in cosmetology school and will be taking her state board test to get her license to practice cosmetology on June 15th. Would you guys honor Ellie? Christian Lewis. Christian is graduating from Lewis Cass High School and he will be attending the University of southern indiana majoring in special education with a minor in psychology and english whoo that's a lot brother you got it don't leave me hanging don't leave me hanging don't leave me hanging uh i know ellery bennett could not be here uh, but ellery bennett is graduating from northwestern high school and she will be attending iupui man that's a mouthful uh in exploratory study so we just give her a hand i know she couldn't be here this morning that's super awesome. And then college graduates, Patrick Lewis. Patrick, are you here? Yeah, you are here this morning. Awesome. Patrick is graduating from Purdue University with a bachelor's of science degree in mathematics and computer science, which just basically means you're super smart. Uh, this dude is going to be moving to New York City. Uh, he got a job with Bloomberg. Uh, you've had the job since like what, forever, like five years now or something like that? Either way. High five. Hey, um, we want to give you guys uh, a couple gifts real quick. And I just want to let you guys know uh, that wherever you guys go, whatever adventure um, God takes you guys in next, I hope you always know that your church family is incredibly, incredibly proud of you. We believe in you. And we want you guys to succeed in so many ways in this world. But most of all, never forget Jesus. Because at the end of the day, all the successes, the grades that you get, the business, the money, the family, all of that is worthless in knowing in comparison to knowing jesus they're all great things but so when times get tough lean into your faith lean into jesus dan would you like to say a couple words and pray for them absolutely i just want to get a little bit closer over here and uh i only have one arm to lay on these but but consider this this hand the hand of blessing on all three of you okay father god we just uh Thank you for and celebrate these three special young people. Uh, they have been blessings to each and every one of us that know them. Uh, we just thank you for this excitement in their lives and the end of this chapter uh, that they can celebrate and be proud of and be thankful for and just help them remember what a piece you played in this chapter for them. And Lord, as they get ready to go into this next chapter, as it's a new job, or as it's college, uh, Lord, 
while it's an exciting opportunity and something they're probably looking forward to, we know that there can be apprehension and just not knowing exactly what's coming next. Uh, Lord, we just ask as you bless these three that you would calm them and comfort them and let them know that you are there to guide them. As it says in Jeremiah, you say that you are, you are there to, and you already have a plan laid out for them, a plan to prosper them and, and not to harm them, and a plan for their future and their joy and their excitement. Lord, would they just be open to that plan? Would they be open to listening to you and looking for the encouragement and the grace and the love that you have already laid out for them in that path that they don't even know about yet, Lord? Lord, we just ask for your continued blessings on their lives. And Lord, we thank you for allowing us to celebrate and be a little bit of that. Lord, we love you. Amen. Amen. Would you guys give me a hand one more time? You guys can head back to your seats. You guys remember when, when you were 18 or, or, or in your 20s and you had these transitions in life? Yeah, I sometimes look back and wonder, how in the world did I survive those? Um, the grace of God, people being patient with me. Uh, but seriously, we're so excited for the future that God has for you all. Um, we believe that God has called you to be world changers and, and kingdom workers, and we really believe that God has great, great plans for you. Well, this morning we're continuing in a series that uh, we began a few weeks ago called Campfire Stories. And we love this summer in particular because uh, oftentimes we'll sit around campfires, right? And inevitably stories will begin. We'll begin to just start telling all different sorts of stories, stories that we forgot. And in this series, we've been looking at stories from the Old Testament in particular because uh, our faith is made up of a storytelling people, a, 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 a people that, that before they wrote down most of what we have in Scripture, they would tell the stories to the generations to come so that way they could continue on knowing the greatness and the faithfulness of God. And last week, uh, if you were here, if you weren't here, we told the story of Gideon. And Gideon's story is in the book of Judges. And the Judges were these people that after Moses had led the people out of enslavement in Egypt, after Joshua took over for him and he led them into the promised land, there were these Judges that arose. And these Judges were these people who were these deliverers. They were these military heroes oftentimes who would deliver the Israelite people from their enemies. Now the book of Judges ends in an interesting way. It essentially says that, that after all these judges had, had been gone, the Israelite people began to say, we wish we were like the other people. We wish we had a king. And even though God would continue to tell them, I am your king, I am your ruler, they persisted. And so eventually, when, when, when the people came to a prophet at one point, and they said, we want a king, God finally said, fine, I'll give them a king. And so the first king that the Israelite people had was a man named Saul. Now Saul was this just, I mean, muscular, good-looking dude. He looked like a king. So kind of picture me. And, uh, and that was Saul, right? And so, and he did pretty good for a little while. But eventually his heart began to, to, to run astray from the Lord. And so God anointed a, a, the next king while Saul was still in charge. And he anointed this shepherd boy named David. Now, David's story you may know from David and Goliath. Most everyone, whether you grew up in church or not, knows the story of David and Goliath. And David did a very unique thing. You can find most of David's story in First and Second Samuel. 
And David did this beautiful thing where he united the Israelite people. You see, at one point in the story of God's relationship and his people, there were these different tribes from different families. There were 12 of them. And they eventually kind of scattered and they did their own thing. They became uh, divided. And David did this beautiful thing where he was able to unite all of the tribes together. And he was able to bring them back to one place, into almost another sort of promised land. And this was good in the eyes of the Lord. But if you know anything about David's story, he, he messed up some. And, uh, and even though he still clung on to the goodness of God, one of his downfalls is his sons. His sons were not necessarily uh, the greatest of people. His son Solomon took over as king afterwards. And even though Solomon was wise and he asked the Lord for the gift of wisdom, and God gave it to him, Solomon did not fully follow the Lord. Not the wisest guy either there, right? And so Solomon began to marry many different women. Let's, let's be honest, this isn't a good idea. Just one marriage is a good idea, right? And, but as he did this, what ended up happening is they adopted different practices, different religions of the wives that he had from various regions. And Solomon did not leave a good legacy his son who took over right after him continued to stray away from the Lord. And there was an uprising that happened. And the once united kingdom was divided into two places. There was the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, if you read the books of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, that's where you're going to find our story for this morning. Now, these are books, I'm going to be honest, if you just try to read them for what they are, they can be somewhat boring. They're sort of a log, a record of history. And in particular, in First and Second Kings, the author who writes it tends to tell who they were, whose their daddy was, who their mommy was, and then whether or not they did good or bad in the eyes of the Lord. Now, when the kingdoms were split into the north and the south, each kingdom had 20 kings in their history. In the northern kingdom of Israel, guess what? Out of the 20 kings, there were zero kings who did right in the eyes of the Lord. They were handed over to the enemy and headed into exile earlier than the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom, out of 20 kings, had eight good kings. That's still a really, really bad batting average, right? They weren't doing super great. And so this morning, I in particular would like to tell you uh, the story of Josiah. Josiah is somewhat of a forgotten, elusive person uh, in the Old Testament and Scripture in particular. I'll just be really honest with you. When I was planning for this series, I was talking to my dad one day, and I said, do you have a favorite Old Testament story that's maybe more obscure that people don't know about? He said, do you know the, the story of King Josiah? And I like wanted to pretend like, yes, I have a Bible degree. Of course I know everything about that. I could tell you the hermeneutical exegesis of the Hebrew. I couldn't remember it. I'm just going to be honest. I, I couldn't remember the story. A lot of Every time I've read through some of these books, oftentimes, I'll just be honest with you, I kind of get bored. Some of it is like reading a textbook. But as I studied into the story of Josiah, it was a great uh, story. Again, uh, if we could bring up the slide one more time that had uh, the, where, they, where the story is. I think it's in First and Second, or, uh, Second Kings. If you guys want to write these down and read them later, I'm going to tell the story this morning. And, and to know the story of Josiah, you needed to know all the backstory, but you even know, need to know his own family's story. So his great, uh, his, his grandfather was a man named Manasseh. 
It's a fun name. Manasseh. Come on, let's just say Manasseh together. Manasseh. That's sort of fun, right? Sounds fun. I don't know what it means. I should know what it means, but I don't. Manasseh was a king in Judah. Now, Judah is the southern kingdom again, and this is the, the, the kingdom that would continue the line of David. Now, if you remember, David has been promised that his line would produce the Savior King who would come someday. This is important uh, to know. Manasseh was not a good dude. Manasseh had a father named Hezekiah. Hezekiah was one of the greatest kings in the history of all the Israelite people. He did a great job of turning the hearts of the people back to God and trusting God. But his son did not follow in his footsteps. His son was arguably one of the worst kings in the southern kingdom of Judah. Manasseh, uh, among other things, uh, began to intermix the worship of of the one true God, really forgetting him, and intermixing it with other things, including uh, instituting child sacrifice. What a great man, right? Manasseh did, did much evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, Manasseh has an interesting story, too, because if you read about his story, he does have a moment of repentance in some ways. But in some ways, it's too little too late. While he in some ways tries to repent, I don't know how true it was. I think it was a I-don't-want-to-die type of repent. And so the people continue to do bad in the eyes of the Lord. His son takes over. He, he, Manasseh had a very long reign. His son, though, Amon, takes over after him. Now, Amon continues on the legacy of despicable, wicked practices. Scripture talks about how Amon, uh, he took over, I believe, when he was, was 22 years old. He only ruled for two years. Amon uh, not only continued with the child sacrifice that his father had begun, uh, but it talks about how he sacrificed some of his own children. I mean, we're talking about just deeply evil stuff. And so, like I said, he only ruled for two years. What ended up happening is there was a, a plot, a coup that happened for his assassination. Now, it's interesting because we don't know a lot about who the people were who, 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 who led the coup. It could have been people who just didn't like him. It could have been people who uh, wish he wasn't doing such wicked things. We don't know because what ends up happening to the people who plot and carry out his assassination is they are all killed too, immediately by the people. And the people decide that they want to continue the line of David. And I, I like to think that more than likely these people are hoping that the apple wouldn't fall far from the tree and that they would continue to do terrible things. And so the next king that came is the king we're focusing on this morning, King Josiah. King Josiah was eight years old when he became king of Judah. What were you doing when you were eight years old? I was probably picking my nose, riding my bike, stealing money off my dad's dresser so I could go buy candy at the gas station. Typical things. Eight years old. Now, if my math serves me well, which I'm not very good at math, and that's why I wear sandals sometimes because then I can count higher. Um, if he was eight years old and, and knowing his father's age, uh, that means that uh, he would have been born. His father would have been probably about 16 years old when he had him. Uh, and so that means that as an eight-year-old, he probably saw some pretty despicable things. There's probably a likelihood that, that part of Josiah's upbringing could have been quite literally seeing his siblings sacrificed, burned to death. I mean, can you imagine the trauma of seeing things like that? Can you imagine the trauma of growing up and having your father murdered? Even as wicked as he was, that's got to be, we don't know how it happened for sure. It could have happened in front of him for all we know. 
Anyways, Josiah, though, does not grow up with, with a lot going in his favor, does he? But Josiah, what's interesting is as we read his stories, we see that it, when he turns 16 years old, in the eighth year of his reign, Scripture just tells us that he begins to seek the Lord of his father, David. His, this would have been a, you know, a great-great-grandfather. That he begins to seek the one true Lord. We have no idea how this happens. Maybe his mother had something to do with it. Maybe God's Spirit just came upon him. We, we don't really know. But it says that he begins to seek the Lord. And then when he's 20 years old, four years later, he begins to purge the land of all the idol worship. At this point, you have the temple of the Lord. In, in there, you have, you have altars, you have different things, worship practices that are being set up to other gods. You have these Asher poles like we heard about in the story of Gideon that are worshiping other gods. I mean, it's just this weird, weird land where people have intermixed all sorts of things. And truly, they've forgotten about God. They've forgotten about the God of uh, who, who, who led them out of enslavement in Egypt. And so he begins to purge the land. And it's not long after that that he decides that he is going to rebuild the temple to, to, to what it was. He just he feels that that's what's next. And while they are rebuilding the temple, they find something that had been lost for a long period of time. They find the book of the law. They find the first five books of what our scripture is today. Now, some scholars say it could have even been, uh, quite literally, the original copies that Moses wrote himself. We don't know that for sure. But what ends up happening, scripture talks about how as, as they find it and they come to the king and they tell him about the scripture that they found, that he asked that it be read to him. And as he begins to hear the stories from this, it is said in Scripture that he quite literally tears the robes that he is wearing and he begins to deeply mourn. In ancient culture, sometimes when, when, when you read, you'll hear about when people grieve. Sometimes they'll shave their head. They'll put ashes on their face. They'll rip their stuff. It's because they really meant business when they were mourning, when they were repenting. And it is at that moment that everything deeply changes. The, the connection of his seeking for God and the hearing the truth the story of his faithfulness. And he begins to see what has been going on in his land is awful. It's an amazing, amazing story. Because of this, he actually leads them in the very first celebration of Passover that they know about since the time of Joshua. This is a long period of time. It's amazing. He sparks this national revival. And it talks about how good he is. This is this is what it says. This is this is somewhat interesting. In Second Kings uh, chapter twenty three, uh, verse twenty five, it just says this: Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him, who turned to the Lord as he did, with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength, in accordance to the laws of Moses. Now think about this. That's a bold statement. Neither a king before him. He's talking about David. David is the man that we always are like, man after God's own heart. King David, he's great. And in this, Josiah is, is claimed as being the one who, who turned even greater, who, who fully invested in. Yet Josiah is, is, is a person that we never really hear much about his story. Josiah's story, though, uh, while it ends well because he leads this revival in his land and with his people, he eventually is killed in battle when he's, when he's almost 40 years old. And the sad truth is that as soon as he dies, the people revert back. 
they go back to the terrible, despicable, destructive practices that they had before. And the sad reality is that in some ways for those people, it was too little, too late. The prophets had already told them it was going to happen. But this morning, I want to talk about why, even though maybe some of the things that we normally would like in a story in terms of redemption and, and long-lasting legacy would be good. I want to talk about what, do, what does the story of Josiah mean for us as followers of Christ? What can we learn from his story? So here's the first thing that I think we can learn from the story, is that the past of our family does not define you or your future, that you can be a cycle breaker. I mean, think about this. You know the adages that always come out, right? The, the apple doesn't fall fall far from the tree you know some of us believe that the sins of our fathers are are the demons that we must bear ourselves and while there are consequences of of even family sin the reality is if we truly believe in the god who who talks about that 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 when we've when we've experienced the forgiveness a a life-giving relationship with jesus christ that the old creation is gone and the new has come then why do we believe this why do we continue to put these things on other people? Why do we continue to discount people and say, listen, they grew up on that side of town. They'll never be able to change. Uh, this is just part of that, that culture of people. We do this, right? And if we're honest, there's some of us even in our own lives, we, we have those voices. We said, my dad was a cheater. I'll always be a cheater. My dad, my dad never told me he loved me, so maybe I don't, maybe I'm not really loved. My mom abandoned our family. I'm not worthy of love. We take on different sinful things. We, we take on some of those things. And sometimes we even use excuses, right? But I believe as followers of Christ, we're not called to just follow in those lines. Maybe some good pieces. But I don't think what our family did has to define our own future. In my own family, I know a lot of people sometimes say, like, Aaron, sometimes I can't connect with you. You talk about you had a great family. I've heard your dad preach. Your parents were great. And while you understand they weren't perfect, they, they were there. They did really good. But some of you haven't heard the story of Walt Perry and Jim Taylor. Both of my grandfathers uh, had fathers who were abusive drunks. My grandpa Jim uh, grew up in in, in the Wichita, Kansas area. Uh, When he was 12 years old, he had to grab a shotgun and uh, tell his father with uh, such kindly, I'm sure very Christian words, to get out and stop beating his mother. Everything stood against him in life. But by the grace of God, men of faith came around him. He became a pastor. His heart was completely transformed and changed. Walt Perry, my dad's father, his dad was was a drunk. He abandoned his family. And not only that, it's not even like he left. He stayed in town. He was the shameful drunk person in his town. My grandfather never had relationship with his father. His father wouldn't even acknowledge his presence in the town. And yet because of some men in his community from the church who rallied around him, he met Jesus. And his life completely changed. Now again, I'm not making false promises that like, if you follow Jesus, all of your dreams will come true. But the reality is I do believe that, 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 first of all, you do not have to be defined by those pasts of your family. Truly, you can start a new legacy in your own family 
But I really do believe that when we commit the ways, uh, commit our lives to the way of Jesus, that there's a so much better chance that our children are going to grow up and get that. I, I truly believe in the idea that, that, that our children, when it comes to faith, uh, it, it's more about uh, what's caught, not what's taught. Okay? While it's important to teach our kids, it's important to tell the stories, to teach uh, the Scripture, most of the kids who leave faith, it's because it wasn't really lived out at home. You can be a cycle breaker, though. Start living it out. Start telling the stories. Here's the second thing we learn from the story of Josiah. Uh, Humble yourself before the Lord or you will be humbled. Humble yourself before the Lord or you will be humbled. Here's what it says in in 2 Chronicles uh, 34, 26 through 28. Uh, this This is talking about how after the word of the Lord, after the book of law was found and, and he began to hear it, uh, Josiah wanted to hear from one of the prophets of the Lord. And it just says this. It says, Tell the king of Judah uh, who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you have heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard the word and what it had spoke against this place and its people. And because you humbled yourself before me, you tore your clothes, you wept in my presence. I have heard you, declares the Lord. Now I will gather you to your ancestors and you'll be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see the disaster I'm going to bring upon this place. Uh, This is talking about, quite literally, uh, that God is going to save him from seeing the destruction that will befall Judah. But did you see that? There's something important. God hears all of our prayers, but to be honest, I think God tends to hear from the humble louder than anyone else. And in my own life, I don't know about you, but I've had moments in my life where I have chosen to humble myself, to say, God, I trust your way over my way. God, I don't know where to go. And you know what I've seen every time? God never leaves me out to dry. He always takes care of me better than I deserve. He always uh, takes care of things in ways that I couldn't have imagined. On the flip side, there's been many times where I felt strongly God was telling me to do one thing. He was asking me to be humble. And man, have I been humbled. There were jobs I thought I should have gotten that I didn't. There were, there were different things. There was, <laughs> there's been lots of stories we could tell for a long time. And many of you, I'm sure, could tell the same thing. Where you became proud. You forgot God. And man, did He get your attention in ways that you wish never had to happen, in ways that you wish just uh, you wouldn't have had to fall away from Him for. But I think there's something deeply important. As followers of Christ, we see that Jesus was incredibly humble. I mean, he, he said plainly He didn't come to be served, but to serve. So what does it look like to humble ourselves before the Lord? Here's the third thing we learn. Repentance leads to redemption. Repentance leads to redemption. One of the most beautiful pieces of the story, I believe, is the fact that he was able to take this small nation and begin to turn their hearts back to God, to begin to tell the stories again. Now, even though we know that obviously it doesn't go well, that eventually the kingdom is, is taken over by the enemy, that, that there's this long period of time, here's what I wonder. I, I, I think it's interesting to look at the large view of history. So imagine this. Uh, it's, not, it's not long after this that exile happens, that all these bad things, and then eventually after exile, the people get to go home, and the, but they're still not really home because the enemy is still in their land. And it's still a long way from Jesus. Here's what I wonder. I wonder what happens if Josiah never repents, never her, turns his heart back, 
Do the people continue to tell the stories? You know, Passover happens for the first time in a long time. Do the people, as they head into exile, as they head into the most trying time in their people's history, do they have hope? Part of me says no. Part of me says they they never have this time where they realize the blessing and the goodness of God. And that it's because of the reign of King Josiah and his repentance that people probably had hope during those long times. That they're the people who would continue on. You know, one of my favorite stories in Scripture comes uh, in the Gospels where it talks about how there are two people who find Jesus after he's born, when he's just a baby. There's Simeon and Anna. And there are people who have been long awaiting the Messiah, the Savior. They probably lived through some crazy things. But they had that hope of the Savior. I think Josiah probably gave some of the people a taste in the mouth of what it would look like to have a king who truly followed the Lord. And Josiah is redeemed. The people are redeemed because God relents from some of his judgment at the time on the people. But here's the truth. In our own lives still, you can't truly experience redemption through Jesus Christ without a repentance. This is what it says in Ephesians 1, 7. It says, in him we have, and it's talking about Jesus, redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. If you want to experience redemption, you have to have repentance. Imagine this. If, and now, some of you don't tell me like, well, the earth is, is a globe, which it is. I'm not flat earth. But like, the reality is, if, if I'm going this way and I need to go this way, the only way I can get this way is by turning around. Repentance is just turning. That's all it is. So if you're going the wrong way, if you never turn around, you're never going to get to the right direction. And again, don't, don't talk about like, what about circumference, right? You know, you walk all around the, the earth. It doesn't work in your faith. It doesn't work. And here's the reality too. If you're not going towards Jesus, guess what? You're going away from him. going away from him you know we read these stories i think and sometimes it's easy to say like yeah but pastor like it's not like we have like these these idols set up like these people did i mean i'm not sacrificing children and things like that you know the truth is sometimes when we read these stories we're like man these are such a barbaric culture but i think some of the imagery is really important because it's really easy to look at them and say like man at least i'm not that bad but the reality is we still have idols in our world today. For some of us, it's our children. Some of it's our marriage. Some of it's success. Some of it is a, a, a secret sin, an addiction to, to a substance or a drink. To some, some of us, it's our pride. There's so many different idols that we set up because all an idol is is something that we put in the place that Jesus deserves to be. And no matter what, it doesn't matter how good of a thing it is. If you don't repent from that, if you don't take the thing out from the place where Jesus belongs and put Jesus where Jesus should be, I'm sorry, you're not going to experience redemption. But here's the good news. The redemption is not something that you can earn. It's not something you deserve. It is only something that you can receive as a gift from Jesus. But that's the caveat. You've got to receive it. Jesus is waiting for you to come back home. And He is waiting to give you that gift. He's waiting to give you that forgiveness. 
But you've got to be willing to turn around and take it. Here's the final point, and I'm going to ask the band to come up, and we're going to close out with, with one last song, is that Jesus is the king that we always needed. You know, when we look at the story of the different kings in Scripture, there's a lot of lessons we can learn from them. And my dad's favorite adage always is, you can always learn something from everybody, how to be like them or how to not be like them, right? He says it all the time. It's good, it is, it's good wisdom, I'll give him that. But the big piece of the story that I think that we learn when we study the kings in Scripture is this reality that even a Josiah, who, who, who is claimed in Scripture as probably the most holy, the most exactly what, what was good, he still wasn't enough. He still wasn't enough. Even though he completely turned his heart and he followed the Lord in such beautiful ways, it still wasn't enough. And so when we read those stories in light of Jesus, we realize that God, I believe, was telling this story of, listen, you still want somebody to save you. In Judges, you wanted someone who would just deliver you, who would win wars from you. In the book of Kings, in in the Chronicles, you wanted a king who was going to rule over you in the right way. And I have told you from the beginning, I shall be your king. And so we realize as we read those, it should salivate our mouths for the triumphant entry of Jesus as king. In Zechariah, in the Old Testament, there's the prophecy, and it just says this. This is the prophecy, basically, of, of Palm Sunday. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the full of a donkey. You see, Jesus came, and he is the king to end all kings. There's no other place you need to look for hope any longer. So for some of us, we need to stop looking for hope in a political group, in a politician. For some of us, we need to stop looking for hope in a family member, in a relationship, in a child, in in our job, in, in any sort of thing. And we need to just bow down and say, Jesus, you are Lord, you are the King of Kings. And I wish to serve you and you alone. Because the reality is, if you try to serve anything else, you're going you're gonna to leave empty. I met with a, with a guy this week, and it was kind of fun. I got to hear some of his story. Some of his story is, is quite amazing. And, and I want you to know, it's, it, it's a story of someone in our church who, who honestly had no relationship with God before this, wasn't really interested in church. And he was telling this story about how even though his, his, his life grew up kind of crazy, somehow he was able to rise up out of it. You know, he has a family now, beautiful children, a beautiful wife. He has a great job. But he said it wasn't until he began to explore his faith, probably about six months ago, that he realized that at the end of the day, though, none of it was satisfying a need that was deep inside of him. A need that, 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 that still, even though he was experiencing all the things that are good in our culture, it wasn't enough. And he said it wasn't until a few months ago that he realized, I know what was missing. It was Jesus. I'm pretty excited because he's going to be baptized at the end of this month. And that's just cool. But you know, his story 
isn't any different than my story. There was a time in my life where I realized that there was an emptiness and the only thing that could fill it was Jesus. And you know what? There are still days that I wake up and God has to remind me, Aaron, stop trying to put other things in my place, even good things. And you know what? That's your story too. This morning, I don't know where you are at in your life. I don't know if life has just been tough. I don't know if you've been experiencing a lot of success because here's the reality. Good things in our lives sometimes are the biggest distractions from Jesus. I don't know what is going on in your life, but my hope, my prayer is that we would be like Josiah's. That we would turn from anything that is pulling us away from God and His goodness and His faithfulness. And that we would just give our whole heart to Him. This morning I want you to know that you are worthy of relationship with Jesus. You are worthy of the forgiveness. You are worthy to be called a son, to be called a daughter of the King. And all you have to do is come back home. I'm going to ask you guys to stand with me. And we're going to pray. God, this morning, I just thank you just so much for... God, the truth that we find in your scripture. God, I thank you for, God, just the opportunity to repent. God, as I study other gods, both ancient and ones that people still serve today, so many of them are so hard. They're so rigid. God, they're so unloving. They're so vengeful and vindictive. God, they want all of our allegiance, and, 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 and God, they, 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 they just try to consume us. They try to send us astray. Yet, God, when I look at you, God, you are a jealous God who desires all of attention. But, God, you are also just so generous. You are so gracious. God, no other God would take the humble form of a human. God, who would come and become quite literally the personified king. But, God, you did. God, you sent your son, Jesus. And God, because of that, God, we have hope. God, because of that, we can have wholeness. Because of that, we can have peace. Because of that, we can have joy. And because of that, we can be loved. God, that even though the world would throw on us identities of losers, identities of broken, God, you say, I can redeem. I can restore. You say where the world says, ugly, messed up not worthy. You say, that is my son and that is my daughter. So God, I pray this morning that God, those who are in this room, God, that they would truly take up their identity as sons and daughters of the one true king. And God, that they would turn from anything that is leading them astray from that king, from that relationship with their heavenly father. And God, they would just run as fast as they can into your loving and tender arms. God, I just thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank, that, thank you that you never give up on us. God, you never leave us. You never forsake us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.